0: Podcast ain't played nobody. Uh, we're going to talk about journalism real fast. That's what gets them in. That's the teaser, brings you into the whole show. Oh, yeah. yeah I wrote about Boise this week, and Boise is so pissed at me. Not the school. That's the problem. See, I have a weekly column I haven't named, all right? And I don't know what to name it, and I'm not witty enough to come up with something right at the moment, at least. A deficiency of just like like functional frontal lobe. Uh, business uh, and so I just have this column I have to, I have to plug something in there every week as sort of a lead story and I interviewed Brian Harson this week because I was talking to um, the folks at Boise and I said man nobody's talking about y'all right now and you're undefeated and you beat two power five teams granted it was Washington State and Oregon State whatever it counts right and I said you know what every, other people are taking that Boise uh, top of group of five you know playoff slash BCS spoiler role and y'all are undefeated. So let's, let's remind the world about Boise. So sounds good, right? Solid? You with me so far? Sure, yeah. Okay. So then I get on the phone with Brian Harson, And uh, I've talked to Coach Harson many times. Super nice guy. And he's been very definitive before in that he feels like if Boise goes undefeated, they take care – he always says, if we take care of business, which means undefeated, then we should be involved in the conversation. And so I was like, hey, do you still feel that way? Da-da-da. Okay. I don't know if y'all knew this. Boise lost some football games last year, and that ish is traumatic out there. The back to back loss from, uh, I think it was October, November last year. They they lost some games, I said this in my column, that were like decent, they were okay, like Utah State, it happens, BYU, it happens, good football team. Point is this they lost two games to New Mexico at home, which is like bad. And then that's who they're playing Friday night on CBS, can't see that game. And then they're playing, uh, then they lost to Air Force. Well, whatever, okay. So he's kind of changed his mentality entirely because this guy's living in sort of the shadow of what was built before him by Peterson and Hawkins and even Dirk Cutter, who he played for and all that. Okay, I wrote that there. I asked him about Houston. I asked him like, do you care about you know not having the limelight? Do you care about it? He said, look, we are we are going pure Alabama now, pure process, one game at a time. I feel like kids got entitled. I feel like we got entitled. Self-examine. And so I bothered you on what was that Tuesday night, Bill, and came up with some S and P numbers and I did a little blind eye to think. Bottom line was I compared Boise to Houston, and oh, my God, they're coming out of the hills of Idaho. Does this happen every time that we feature a group of five team that overachieves? Because I feel like SB Nation is all about tribalism, right? We have these little team sites, and we have all these little pocket communities. You know, I was in LSU last weekend. I went and saw um, our friends at In the Valley Shook, Podcast, my buddy. I drove to West Virginia once with him to watch an LSU-West Virginia game. These are all very, very lovely people. So we, like, encourage this intense tribalism, but then when we recognize the tribes, like, there's 10 Houston fans. I've talked about this on the show before, and I hate, like, I don't want to complain about people complaining on, like, Twitter. Like, how dumb Meta Sports writer is that? Why don't I just complain about coffee? But I feel like they're, they're really ruining this whole experience. I was trying to take Boise and compare them to a team that's in people's playoff projections right now. And I got my ass chewed for it.
1: Did I do Was something it, wrong? With, with, why were they mad exactly? Because like they've done it longer than Houston? Or what's the, what's the complaint here?
0: So this is the part of the podcast where I just scroll through my mentions. Because that is mm, that's good audio. That is good audio. Scrolling back, scrolling back. Purdue mentioned. By the way, mentions, this isn't
1: group of five. This is anybody ever. Um, while oh. you're scrolling back through, I'll mention that, you know, a couple of weeks ago I had Michigan ranked first in S&P Plus, but I, th- that got yelled at because their special teams rating wasn't very high. Uh, and then this week I have them projected to beat uh, Rutgers and I believe, cover if I remember right. Uh, and they're kind of complaining because it says Rutgers will score 12. Uh, and that's clearly unrealistic. Anyway, go ahead.
0: Um Although, shout out to BSU Sports Report um, because they did say something nice on Twitter about it. I, I'm wow. not, serious. it's not a thin skin thing. I just generally was like, the, here's the problem. I can only do, I can only work with what the coach gives me. And so I couldn't come out and do something like kind of bold and brassy because he said, look, this is. Like, it's a humbled Boise State product was my point. And so I still had to kind of use Houston as the device because that's what sells it to a larger audience because people are talking about Houston right now. Right. uh, Okay. Uh, Good, Harson interview. Don't agree that USU loss is understandable. Okay, that's fine. Um, Basically, so the gist of it, and they're all kind of spread throughout here. It's like, oh, there's also, by the way. These mentions are mixed in with mentions from our previous show about race and college football, so you can imagine. Just just assy. Um, here's one. The phrase, new Boise, did I miss something? Was Houston in the final AP rankings 10 of the last 15 years? Yeah. That was the point. The point yeah, that... was that we have a new usurper. I wasn't trying to insult Boise. Maybe it's like egocentric college sports writer of me to, to, to expect some sort of attaboy or kudo from a fan. Oh, thanks for writing about our, our, fa- our, our football
1: team. I don't know. I just didn't expect to get my ass chewed because I actually wanted to talk about Boise. So, I think the main lesson here is we really just need to stick to Eastern Michigan at all times.
0: I will... Hey, I will Purdue my ass off on this show. Y'all keep sassing me. I swear to God, Houston. Well, you
1: better because fate is telling us that we must... Talk about Purdue at all times. You've got a Purdue uh, neighbor now. We got Purdue. We got a sinkhole forming in the Purdue end zone, just dying for whatever jokes that, that we want to make. And then last night during an Arkansas State Georgia Southern game, which is which is P A P N as hell to begin with, uh, mm. dude we're in brain. the stands wearing a Purdue shirt. So. Um, it does feel like the universe is, is um, conspiring against us at the moment. Purdue
0: neighbor update. The flag has switched out to something a little more seasonal. I think it was a patriotic thing, and I think they it's probably, I'm not assigning gender roles here, but it was probably like the wife kind of switched it out for like, let's put a fall flag or a Halloween flag up. However, there's still the yard flag with the two little like, you know, the ones that you put in the ground with the wickets. So yeah. there's one of those, and Bill I mean, I don't. I don't. Of course, I'm just gonna ask you. Did you know this? But you, there's no reason for you to. Do you know that in, in the state of Tennessee, you can get a Purdue license tag? Like you can get. I, uh, can you get like a Missouri tag in Missouri? Right. That makes well, sense. Well, right. You can get yeah. a
1: Missouri, Southeast Missouri, Missouri State, et etc. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's that's fine.
0: And in Tennessee, you can get a Vols tag. You can get a Bama tag. You can get an Ole Miss tag. Um, I think I'm leaving one out. But apparently, you can you can get a Purdue tag, Bill. Who, who, now, was this who, the case before PAP I well, began? I, I mean, look, y'all, seriously. Let's just put the meme aside and, and real talk. Everybody take a knee. I think something's going on with Purdue in this podcast. Okay, and I don't mean just an in-joke amongst the listeners and hosts that we share on Twitter. I mean, the, I, think, I think powers are aligning to take us to West Lafayette. Are you feeling this?
1: There's a sinkhole in the end zone. Of course I feel this. Do you feel that like but do you do you think maybe that sinkhole is actually just drawing us in? Right? Yeah, I mean I feel like maybe my house is actually getting drawn north and east at the moment. What's the drive to West Lafayette from Columbia, Missouri? Uh drive to Chicago is about six, six and a half hours. West Lafayette's kinda in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so let's more, more good listening. I'm gonna pull this up as we speak. By the Columbia. way, just real
0: fast, I'm gonna I'm gonna start revoking your SEC credentials. If you, if you keep doing stuff like that, that was the most Midwestern thing in the world was you took, you took your distance of where you are in America relative to Chicago and people, everybody, everybody right now from like Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio knows what I'm talking about right now.
1: I mean, easy. I guess I could have used Indianapolis, but screw Indianapolis. I've been to Chicago hundred times. Um, There's a
0: really good breakfast place in Indianapolis. That's the end of all of the things I can say about Indianapolis. Oh, easy. There, are to you drive talking about the me.
1: Are you talking about the Waffle Steakhouse? The Waffle House where the, instead of H O U S E, it's S T E A K. No, I, was, that,
0: I wasn't. But I have been there before.
1: Yeah, me too. I had, I, I got myself a, a you know a three ninety nine steak or whatever. It was as promised. Um, all right, so West Lafayette is actually not quite as far in the middle of nowhere as I thought. It's closer to Indy than I thought. I thought it was further north, but it's basically six hours from me.
0: Okay, so it's close, if, it's cl- if it's close to Indy, then it's four and a half to Indy from Nashville. So probably about five, five and a
1: half. Mm, Bill. Bill. Should I just fly to Nashville and then you can drive? We can drive uh, yeah, that's fine. and re- record on the road? That's fine.
0: We'll stop in. Uh, we'll stop in Louisville. Pick up, like, Bobby Petrino and Action Cookbook. That'll work. Just uh,
1: when he's visiting. Oh man,
0: I don't even want to get out of the ditch. I'll be honest. I just feel like, you know, uh, by oh yeah. By the way, uh, thanks for joining us. Our listenership's going up right now. So God forbid this be your first episode.
1: So <laughs> Stanley always
0: said, every comic book is someone's first comic book. So you kind of have to address like. Plot and concept accordingly. So God forbid this be your first podcast. Ain't play nobody. But welcome if it is. This is a college football marriage of numbers and words. He's the robot Bill Connolly. He invented the S&P Plus analytics system. He is the proprietor of SB Nation's football study hall. He is the author of the forthcoming book, 50 Best College Football Teams of All Time. Asterisk, my name is Stephen Godfrey. Um, I drank copiously in Baton Rouge last week while I was sick for my job. Yeah. Uh, which reminds me, we have a GoFundMe uh, campaign set up right now for our uh, relief efforts on Democracy Prep. We have a winner this week. Do we tease the school or do we leave it? Uh, how do you want to do this? Do you want to say? I, I don't we're want people talk to. About? I don't
1: want people to turn it off. It's not bad.
0: Uh, it's well, it's fairly I mean, interesting. I mean, I think it's pretty. Well, I mean, it's
1: all interesting to us. But I'm just saying in general. Well,
0: guess what? If you're listening to this podcast, it's all interesting to you too.
1: Yeah, okay, fair, fair.
0: Heavy lean into the niche, I believe, is the whole reason we exist right now. Um, we're going to talk about Georgia Tech, uh, thanks to a friendly donation. We're actually backed up on donations right now for this. I don't care. Keep them coming. We'll double up. Um, okay. I, I vented on the Boise-Houston thing. Uh, didn't even talk about the football aspect of it, which was I was kind of shocked when we did the S&P numbers. Look, no doubt if, if there is a, a undefeated at-large that makes the playoff, it's going to be Houston – By virtue of the fact that they played Oklahoma and Louisville, and they hit the non-conference lottery. Okay, you just can't argue against it. It's, I mean, you probably could have assumed that Oklahoma was going to be a top 15, top 20 team when they did that deal. I think it was three years ago they signed the contract. So that that feels right. You had no idea Louisville was going to be this good. So, you know what? Totally fine with that. However... You know, I did the numbers. The, when you look at the conference slates in the AAC and the Mountain West, Boise, the, the average opponent S&P ranking was, uh, I think, nine spots back. That was not far at all. I, was, I, I don't know what I was expecting. I think I was expecting something more dramatic.
1: Yeah. It's funny, by the way, with the role Louisville has played in this mid-major race because uh, a couple of years ago when Louisville and Marshall canceling a game left Marshall with the weakest schedule of all time, uh, and therefore, even if they hadn't, uh, they, they ended up losing to Western Kentucky. What was that? 2014, I guess. Uh, they ended up losing to Western Kentucky late in the year, but they were barely even top 25 in the, in the playoff committee's rankings. Um, Boise would have made it anyway, despite the fact that Boise had a loss and Marshall didn't. Um, so, that, yeah, then Louisville apparently just kind of returns the favor here by being awesome. And by the way, Louisville might be a little too awesome uh, and it might kind of wreck Houston's plans a little bit. But we'll see.
0: I don't know of a time, I don't know of a game in in recent memory where the loser looked as good and as promising for
1: the the title race as as we had with Louisville Clemson. It was an awesome yep. game, um, game of the year so far. Definitely up there. I mean, I you know it depends on your criteria because Tennessee Georgia the last minute alone probably put put you know yeah, pushed and, it ahead. And to, but in terms to of me, pure quality and significance and all of those things, yeah, it was great. Yeah,
0: I know. To me, it's. When I talk, when you're looking at game of the year, game of the whatever, finish is completely different. Yeah, you know what? Uh, that amazing strike from Eason was kind of like a long slant, and you just got behind the coverage. And then you turn around, and you basically, was it, 50, 60-yard Hail Mary, whatever? Awesome. Great. Fantastic. That's why we watch college football. I love it. You know, the North Carolina kicker, Seminole, the whole day. Okay, great. Awesome. Doing the, doing the chop. But when you – still like, to sit through the slog of a four-hour live sporting event with commercials, to be engaged almost the entire time, which is what – I didn't get to see all of it, but I saw most of it live. It was awesome. It was great. It was just – I mean, to hell with the diagnostics. I keep saying that about Lamar Jackson, but it's just watchable. There's there's a satisfying – there's something satisfying, like Clemson – Again, still doesn't look like the optimal Clemson of last year on offense. They were really
1: close the other day, though.
0: They're, what I was going to say is they're getting there. They're getting there. They're putting those two teams together. It's, it speaks to the value of what the product can be in college football because Tennessee, Georgia sucked to watch for three quarters. Yeah. yeah. I think secretly um, a
1: lot of SEC games suck to watch, and people don't want to admit it. It's, it's meant to be more of a punishing brand. But, no, I mean, let's put it this way. Clemson – in terms of the percentiles that I use, the average percentile performance from week to week, um, against Louisville, they were 95th percentile, and they barely won. They won because Louisville came up a yard short on fourth and long. Um, I mean, it was just a phenomenal game all the way around. They were 90th percentile in offense, 90th in defense, and they won 42 to 36 at home uh, in an environment that they were supposed to be more well prepared for because the last year, uh, this was, you know, a huge environment for Louisville and they they go in and they almost win the damn game. It was very, very well played and, and impressive. And it was one of those deals where it was high scoring and it was a shootout and all that, but the defenses made a ton of plays. Um and there, when you have that tension where the defense has to make great plays to, to make stops at all, and then they do, yeah, I mean, start to finish, it was just a phenomenal ball game. I'm going to go ahead and say it's
0: the game of the year so far. And I did get to see Oklahoma-Houston live in person. It was fun. Like, it was, exp- it was, like, fun, explosive, and not completely careening off the rails. Um, I don't know. Actually, I guess it's so weird how fast hindsight creates changes perspective. But, like, I mean, Texas-Notre Dame was really fun to watch. Well, it, yeah. just, it just has no relevance. I mean, it has no national relevance the way that Louisville Clemson still does. So maybe it's kind of funny how that that it's it's the same thing I complain about with the Heisman. But you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> we tend to filter everything towards that national title, which I guess is the point of the sport. But to me, you can still go back and appreciate Notre Dame Texas as being really fun and watchable because it was. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I mean,
1: being uh, having, being of national significance is like one factor when it comes to. Um, you know, like for for instance, the, the big top one hundred games list that I put out at the end of the year, like that's that's part of it. But I mean, pure fun can overcome a lot too. It, it's just the part of that game that changed is Texas is back. That that's not quite the sentiment that's going on right now. Um, Real fast because we're we're bridging into talking about Texas. But
0: did you have your number one last year was Arkansas and Ole Miss?
1: Uh, yes. Okay, I like that. I'm cool with that. Yeah, well, I mean, because that had kind of backdoor significance, too. Like, the game itself, um, it was oh, anyone absurd Anyone in Oxford, and crazy. Mississippi,
0: will tell you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But then you look back and you realize, oh, wait, if Ole Miss wins that game, Alabama doesn't go to the SEC title game. Did they even go to the playoff at that point, which they probably do? Um, but we don't know for sure how the committee responds to such a thing. Yeah. Um, Ole Miss goes to Atlanta for a rematch with a Will greer will Greerless Florida, probably beats
0: them as bad or as close to it as Alabama did. Yeah. And... This, SEC ain't made it maybe not even in that playoff.
1: Yeah. I can't remember yeah, who the number five was. Really, last year. really interesting. And that would have annoyed me because Alabama was clearly one of the four best teams in the country uh, and had one loss to a really good team. But I understand that, we, you know, uh, p- different people have different criteria. And we don't exactly know what the committee will do in that sense. Um, I know what one
0: committee of idiots is trying to do, and that's fire Charlie Strong.
1: Ooh, transition. Nailed it.
0: Well, Um, see, we we had it.
1: I said Texas, we had it going. No, I know, but and then I I even got it
0: back on course. Nice, smooth. I I didn't overcorrect and go into the other lane. It was nice, (laughs) but now we're talking about it, which defeats the purpose. Sorry, hey, Texas, Charlie Strong, Uh, probably the exact same situation that Texas was in last year going into Red River. I was there. um, I finagled a path. I don't know if I've told this story. Mm, Don't know if I can. I was not credentialed for Red River at the time. Kind of snuck in through some connections, through some people who actually listen to this podcast. Um, And I can't say exactly what my badge said, but it was highly uh, not representative of the fact that I was a journalist on the field. That doesn't matter. What matters is this, Bill. I saw coaches with tears in their eyes last year because this was the hump. This was the transition point. They beat Oklahoma... With like a reductive, base, just simplistic, like ballpen hammer to the knees offense, and you know what? They're probably gonna have to do it again on Saturday to save all their jobs.
1: I, I yeah, I, I hate, I hate how quickly we get to this conversation now. Charlie Strong is a third of the way to it through his third year. Um, he inherited, despite what Mac Brown might say, he inherited a kind of a mess of a roster. He clearly misfired when it came to his first offensive coaching decision, and that's on him. And, uh, you know, now he's got to, you know, he's had to make some defensive changes. Vance Bedford's been with him forever and has not suddenly become a bad coordinator or, or a dumb coach or whatever. But clearly uh, their defense is now the, now that their offense, now that their offense is ninth in offensive s p plus at the moment, their defense is 97th. Um, so clearly they haven't gotten all the ducks in a row yet, but they're amazingly young and, um, you know their their top three, so they're even on defense. Their top three tacklers are sophomores, and it's there's almost no senior presence at all on the defensive side of the ball. There's a lot of turnover here, and in a normal situation, like if this was okay, well, actually, we'll just use Missouri in this regard. If he inherited a Missouri team that went that had had like three or four really mediocre years in a row, and then he does what he's done so far, which is show. Ups and down pro, promise through ups and downs for two years and then catches fire on offense and has a freshman quarterback who looks for, well, who who's on pace for like 3000 plus yards of uh, passing as a freshman uh, and completing 66 percent of his passes as a freshman. Um, you know, the the story here would be, you know, the future is bright. We're, the, the, the pieces are kind of in place. Obviously, the defense is still an issue, but I mean, it's Texas. So this is he's he's basically out of time to fix a giant mess uh, after yeah. two and a third seasons, and I, I hate it. And I under, I I always have to remind myself these guys get paid absurd money to do this, and they know the risk. So it's not just about a this isn't a vacuum where everybody makes a a decent living, blah blah blah. blah. You you get paid high stakes money, and therefore you have to win very quickly. But I still, uh, you know, Charlie, if you're going to give Charlie St- strong two and a third seasons before you decide, you know what, it's over, then you should have hired him to begin with.
0: When I went and talked to him in August, sometimes on a coach profile or interview, and kind of like Ed Oshron, we'll talk about him in a second, if if I truly feel like they're being honest, and I don't mean if they're being correct, because sometimes coaches are just convinced of things that aren't going to happen, or they're just, you know, things are a fait accompli. That's fine. But if I feel like you are actually being honest with me and I have a way of knowing that, then I'm going to let your voice dictate the article completely. I'm going to get the hell out of the way. Right. I should be there objectively. There were a couple of quotes like this weekend with Ostrons. There's some recruiting stuff I didn't even put in my story, but like I had Bud check it. And I always check things with like I'm all I always bug Bill about progression or system or so, any, anything they try and pass off as BS. So when I talked to Charlie. I let his voice carry it because he was so frank and honest. And I think that he believes everything he said, but I do now really disagree with his philosophy of just win, insulate the the culture in the building, and worry about the players because that isn't enough at Texas. I, I believe that now because at Texas, when you lose a game, the world ends, even when you know, maybe the world didn't necessarily end against Cal, but everything came up until that point, and then Oki State was just—it was a, an excuse for the for the floodgates to open, where you got Red McCombs making comments, you've got booster factions kicking up, you've got the like eighty-five different little, you know, uh, and I'm not trying to denigrate websites, obviously, because we work for them, but like all the mm, fa- different flavors of team site reporting that surround Texas, um, which reminds me, I need to cancel my subscription to one of them. Uh, all of a sudden, every, Charlie's back on the cross. I don't know if it would be quite this bad, Bill, if Charlie played the game a little bit more. Mac got the benefit of the doubt right. way too much in his last right. three years, but Mac also got the benefit of the doubt during tough, tough pivot points on his way to that national title. Specifically, when he would get his ass waxed by Oklahoma every year, <laughs> he played the game and was able to curry favor with certain factions at Texas. And I think that insurance helped him a lot. And Charlie, it's not like Charlie aggressively ignores those people, but he just doesn't he didn't give a shit. So I think that affects, I think that it just hurts him that much more in a moment like this. And it makes Oklahoma, like, beyond a must win.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the the whole keep it in the building kind of vibe is fine, except that you can still, they can still kind of set fire to the building. <laughs> you know, they can still – you have to play that game. Uh, and, and this is, you know, we kind of knew this was Charlie's weakness when he got hired. You know, I remember a bunch of people making comments, I think, I'm pretty sure myself included, uh, talking about how, you know, Charlie hates to play this game, this media game and this relations game, and that's all the Texas job is. Um, so – you know, maybe maybe it's on him for taking the job to begin with, when it was clear that his his biggest weakness, so to speak, like the area where he had the biggest deficiency, uh, in this weird little you have to have so you have to be good at so many random weird things when you're a head coach. Uh, he clearly wasn't very good at this one. It didn't matter at Louisville because he won so quickly and so much. Uh, nobody ever had a reason to kind of get on him, uh, from a media standpoint, but at Texas, there's no question that, uh, there's a relations part of this, but you know what? I mean, that's, again, you should have hired him to begin with then. Cause it was obvious. And, um, you know, you either expected the people who hired him, which, um, as we know from other, in other ways, weren't, they were deficient in their own right, um, you know, the people that hired him thought that either Charlie was going to change or that te- the Texas job was going to change, and both of those are, are kind of crazy, I guess.
0: Uh, I, think if he, I think if he beats Oklahoma this weekend, it, I don't know if a whole lot changes.
1: No, well, no. It do- I mean, a month ago, he his job was saved and Texas was ready to be a national power again. If, it, it will change for a week, but then if they don't back it up by, playing, by destroying Iowa State and then destroying Kansas State and then probably beating Baylor at home – it's just, I mean, those demons just come right back. I
0: don't, I mean, I honestly don't even know what beating Oklahoma does this week. I think it, it keeps them at bay, tops. I don't think it, I don't think we swing back to like that post Notre Dame week of like, you know,
1: hashtag Texas back.
0: I, that's, well, no, no, no,
1: No. that that one's, that one's gone this bar. year. But yeah. what I, what I mean is just we learned from Notre Dame that this, this is all in the background and it's just waiting to come back. So even if, if even if it beats Oklahoma and they have a really good week of coverage. Uh, they're just going to wait till the next moment he struggles. And and this is a really, by the way, let's say they beat Oklahoma. Um, they probably beat Iowa State at home, so that makes them 4-2. and two. But then using S&P, the next three games on their schedule, at Kansas State, 50-50 win probability. Uh, Baylor at home, 42%. At Texas Tech, 47%. Three virtual toss-ups in a row. Um, first of all, it's really hard to win three straight toss-ups. But yeah, I mean this is, this schedule is basically setting up for them to go six and six or seven and five with a crazy young team, which typically says very good things about where you're headed, um, but yeah, they should have just fired him last year, uh, you know, if seven and five wasn't going to be good enough, I guess Here's my thing on on Vance Bedford.: uh, Sterling Gilbert the, the the
0: the pitchfork mob was right. you know, Charlie came in with some preconceived notions on what. He could do in Texas with the talent and the culture and like the cuts, the styles of defenses and offenses that you play in Texas. Mm-hmm. So I'll go ahead and give a point to the masses in saying that picking off the Bry- Bryles tree and using you know putting Gilbert with Buchel and turning eighteen wheeler into a specific goal line package and all the stuff with swoops, all that. Yeah, Charlie learned, and he's better for it, and the offense is, for the most part, good to getting, I think, eventually great. I mean, I think Bouchelle's going to, trans- you know, he's going to build. Um,
1: right, and they're already, like I said, they're already top 10, and they scored 30-plus. Th- they've scored 30-plus every game. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, de- so, offense yeah, is what, not the problem right now. What,
0: who, fi- who has figured out defense in the conference that you are so pissed off that you wish you were like right now? <laughs> who well, is it? Like, mean... like I, I, I've seen Houston get its ass handed, to, or I'm sorry, Oklahoma get its ass handed to them tw- twice, three times this year. Twice, twice. And I was thinking there were a couple other games where they were. Oh no, three times because the TCU. I mean, oh, I mean, well, okay, I sorry. Yeah. So who is it exactly that you think you should be? Now, look, it's a bad defense, no doubt, but it's a conference
1: full of bad defenses. Yeah, well, no doubt. but. It, there's still though. There's bad, and then there's ex. There's looks extra bad because of tempo. Like, yes, give up thirty three points to Houston. Really, isn't that bad? um all all things considered even up 45 to Ohio State Ohio State's a murdering machine at the moment is a kind of a different story you know especially the way they fell asleep at the end but let's put it this way Oklahoma and they're Oklahoma's 66th in defense right now in, in defensive S&P plus uh that's still significantly better than 97th if, if that's that's basically What is that about rank in the four? conference? Uh let's see more happy listening on the radio um So, but I mean, typically the big 12 will still have two or three teams in the top 40 uh, in terms of the, in terms of opponent and pace adjusted uh, numbers. So, all right. So the, the big 12 right now, you've got Kansas state 13th, you've Uh. got Baylor 22nd. See, that's, that's a, Baylor's a good example here. Like they're going to, they're going to have 17 possessions in a given game. They're going to give up points. Um, but they're going to still make a ton of stops, too. right? And, uh, and they're going to be – they, they, they kind of have the model, you know, the aggressive defense that kind of plays well just from a breaking serve standpoint. Like, we don't have to make many stops. We're just going to – we're going to have a pick six in there, or we're going to have a big turnover and get an easy seven, and that's – you're never going to catch up. Ah, right, so, so – Baylor's it. 20 Bay, – hold on. Baylor's 22nd. Then we've got um, – I almost said Colorado. Colorado's not in the Big 12. Uh, West Virginia's 51st. Um, they have a very, very good standard downs defense, but they give up a lot of big plays on passing downs uh, to teams not named freaking Missouri anyway. Uh, not bitter. Um, wow. Oklahoma 66, TCU 67th, Oklahoma State 75th. And this is kind of a bad year. Usually they were more in the top 50 than this. So basically but right, they're, but they're, they're pissed off again because Baylor's doing something better than them. <laughs> That's kind certainly like I'm right, yeah, and let's put it this way too oklahoma's uh sixty sixth uh that basically adjusts to about allowing about twenty nine points per game in a in a normal environment um Texas gives up about four and a half more points per game uh in this environment, and so that 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 almost flips the cow game right there, and if you flip the cow game um you know granted. That all the oddities that happened it was it should have been fifty seven to forty three blah 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 still if you flip that Cal game and you're three and one right now that's really not a big deal so I think part of the issue is it, we're not we're not really giving Cal a lot of credit for having a really good offense uh, and they have a really good offense mm-hmm. but anyway anyway uh, uh, side if, note before we move on to our next subject uh, a
0: lot of a lot of speculation from major media outlets right now trying to kind of put the web together on Tom Herman and. Houston and LSU and Texas and USC and all that. uh, That stuff changes by the day, and a lot of it is just us projecting our our assumptions
1: against the wall. Well, the Uh, Texas Internet tells me it's as good as done already that he's going to Texas. Yeah,
0: yeah. okay. Um, I'll get to that later, but probably on another show. But if you want something finite right now, Sonny Dyke's going to Baylor. Okay. <laughs> uh, Sonny Dyke's going to Baylor because Cal is good. Um, which, On
1: offense. On offense.
0: Yeah. Which is. Okay. So Cal is good um, by Big 12 standards. And Sonny's beaten Texas a bit. Yeah. Okay. Twice. Yeah. A bit. So he's interviewed for jobs in the Mac Roads twice that we know of. He's dealing with. A woeful amount, consistent inconsistency of A.D. leadership, of budget shortfalls and problems at Cal. He gone, okay? And he's going to Baylor because it makes the most sense. The only thing that might knock this off now is two things. Pepper Hamilton rears its ugly head in a massive way that affects Baylor's ability to recruit. Right. Sonny doesn't want to step into a hamstrung situation. Or Sonny keeps winning and gets a better job somehow, which I don't think is going to happen. Not because no, not he's still only
1: 3-2 this year.
0: I know. I know. But, again, it's the perception of it's. It's not what you do. It's how you sell it in, yeah. in, in, that, in that market. See also, colon, Chizik, comma, Gene. It's not really what your record is. It's just how you sell it. So, Sonny <laughs> Like's going to Baylor. Feel pretty good about telling you all that. You were talking okay. about Georgia Tech? Uh, is it that time? Surprise! Our team of the week is Georgia Tech. How do you feel about that? I was kind of (laughs) excited when that came through. I'm always, I always feel good about these things. I mean, that's... By the way, uh, thanks to everybody. A lot of NC State fans, I think, found the show. um, Because, uh, and I'm not going to make a Tobacco Road basketball joke. Unlike some lesser podcasts in our family. Um, Because, also, because I know Raleigh is like... That's a secret football town, no doubt. A lot of Panthers fans there, a lot of NC State fans. NC State, I think. I don't want to take anything away from Jimmy V, but, like, that's a football school waiting to happen. It always has been for a while now. Um, Probably have to keep waiting. Anyway, uh, our friend Robert Graham, he gave $150 to SB Nation's Democracy Prep Relief Campaign. Uh, But I told y'all, price of the brick's going up, so it's $200 now. But anyways, it was $150 when he gave us money, and we appreciate his money. He says, I was going to donate anyway, thank you, but now I can hear you guys talk about Georgia Tech. Fan base unhappy with CPJ and general 7 5 since Chan Gailey. Great city. Tough school. I like this patois he's got going. This is like a beat poetry. Tough school to recruit to. Parentheses. We love to compare ourselves to Duke, Stanford, Northwestern, and also talk ourselves out of those. We're just engineering. <laughs> and uh what uh what are the reasonable expectations, and is there a path to something more than seven to five with a with a sometimes peak eleven and three plus orange bowl and a sometimes smoking crater three and nine Thank you um, probably not, but that's i mean hey man, look just on paper, if I didn't know anything about Georgia Tech running a triple option, fans being discontent with a grumpy coach, coach coming out and complaining about facilities, um probably not recruiting up to the level in which you could in atlanta if i didn't know about any of that i would just go hey man maybe bill maybe this is just because i went to a power five mid-level school if you said seven and five consistently occasional crater but then also like a 11 and three year like isn't that what you want in college football unless you're one of maybe
1: 20 teams yeah that's not a terrible life um you know i i think georgia tech has had just enough enough success that it really kind of it messes with your head a little bit. Like clearly you're capable of going 11 and three and winning the orange bowl. We saw that two years ago. Clearly you're capable of, you know, George O'Leary went uh, like 10 and two and nine and three over a three year span. Uh, Obviously Bobby Ross had that one amazing season. Uh, That was pretty much, that was pretty much it for Bobby Ross. That was the only time he even finished ranked was when they jumped way up and um, butted past Virginia and stole Virginia's thunder and and split the national title with the most lucky team of all time, Colorado. Um, so clearly, clearly you can put together years like that. But I mean, my goodness, since, since that national title season of, of 1990, like eight and five, five and six, five and six, uh, bad six and five, five and six, seven and five good eight, and five, like there's a ton of sixes and sevens in there. And I, I you know, to me, I I know nobody wants to settle for that. That's, that's Glenn Mason territory stuff right there. Nobody wants to settle for seven and six, but in this environment where it is pretty hard to recruit uh, to, you know, at least there are a couple more obstacles in the way. Yeah, it is kind of hard to uh, – it's it's going to be hard to maintain any sort of 10 or 11 win threshold. And honestly, I would say the best way to do that would be by adopting something like Paul Johnson's option uh, where maybe if you can, if you can maybe recruit well on defense and he hasn't, but like in theory, if you can kind of have an offense that's sustained itself without top recruits, and then you can occasionally land a few good defensive players and put a lot of talent on that side of the ball, you know, that's, that's not bad living, right there. Texas Tech almost made you know Texas Tech one eleven 11 one in the in two thousand eight by basically having an awesome uh, offense and a good enough defense that had some four stars up I think up front if I remember right. Um, like that's uh, this isn't this isn't bad. I think the problems for Paul Johnson right now. Are, I mean, number one, last year was quite bad. I mean, preseason sixteenth. Uh, not only were they three and nine, they were supposed to be good and finish three and nine. So that level of disappointment is never going to sit very well. And Paul Johnson's other problem is that he's um, honest about how, you know, you know, disadvantages in recruiting and facilities and all these things. And he's not like, you know, we were talking about Charlie strong. He's not the, the, uh, much of a glad hander. And so he does himself, from a a PR perspective, from a relations within the university perspective, he does himself absolutely no favors. Quote,
0: no matter what you do, and this is like I tell our team about playing, commitment has to meet expectations, Johnson said. You can't have expectations without commitment. It won't work, no matter what you do. So if you say you want to be on this level, and I think, by the way, in this context, he's referring to Clemson, then you have to be committed to be on that level, and you have to do what those people are doing. Simple as that. Johnson was immediately asked if he felt commitment was matching expectations at Georgia Tech. Quote, I don't know anybody. I don't know that anybody gets that. You can ask that about anybody, Johnson said. But what I'm saying, you guys, look, you don't have to ask me. Do you think we've got the same thing Clemson does? The response was what uh, that not many teams have what Clemson has. Quote, then how can the expectation to beat them? How can then how can the expectation be to beat them? Johnson asked to silence damn. I mean, but he's completely, completely right. True. You just, you, you, you're you not allowed to say that. <laughs> Here's the fun thing about that though. And I say this raised as a Georgia Southern fan. If Georgia tech ever sniffs the amount of, uh, of commitment level that Clemson has, which by the way, was not built overnight. And they went through, right. oh, they yeah. went through years of problems. I've talked to Dan Radakovich about this. I mean, by the way, Dan Radakovich did some time at Georgia tech. Um, they went through years of problems and finally kind of had to polarize their funding and their marketing and all that stuff, all right? Um, if they ever get to, I don't know, 60% of what Clemson has in terms of private funding and facilities, they're going to fire his ass because <laughs> the triple option is not going to bring ESPN to the Saturday night game. Even if you're 10-2 and two one year, I'm telling you this now, and I, I hate to speak against it because I love coaches who run it, but the reality is there is a there's a, a segment of people with a lot of money and people with interest in, in sort of building that like hype hyperbolic atmosphere that you see on Saturday night football it's that's not going to jibe with what Paul the way Paul Johnson wants to act and what he expects is becoming they're, they're becoming two conflicting ideas
1: what if he's winning a lot though
0: I don't know like what if uh, I don't, so i, really, I mean no, talk, no, Bill.
1: well let's let i mean let's talk about saturday nights for a second like what if they go, they're clearly not going to go 11 and three this year. I mean, I, well, technically they could, they've only lost twice, but you know what I'm saying? Um, like what if next year they go 11 and three again and with a really young team and they return a ton for the next year. And then, you know, by virtue of playing Clemson at home and playing Miami at home and all this, like you, you have the potential for really big games on your campus uh, you know, that's, you know, what I, so, so let me be very clear about what, what, when I'm talking about Paul Johnson, like he has not done, he has done himself a major disservice. Like you can be that honest if you're winning a ton, but he has not. The defensive side of the ball has consistently dragged him down. Um, and now they're in a weird situation this year. They're actually 78th in offensive S&P plus 29th in defense. This, this might be his best defense uh, timed with a uh, still frustrating offense. Um, but like, that's, I, I, I think for me, like if we're, if you get to the point where you're, like you said, 60% or more committed, uh, compared to Clemson or whoever, then, you know, maybe your recruiting potential goes up to the point where you don't need, um uh, you know, a specialty offense or whatever we want to call it. Um, well, look, that's fine. That
0: the problem is that that's still the argument with a lot of people at Georgia Tech. Did they need a specialty offense to begin with? probably not if you sit in atlanta a lot of this isn't see that this it's such a hmm
1: it a lot of this depends on how much you believe recruiting disadvantage this is an
0: ouroboros did i pronounce that right this is the snake eating its tail okay very hard to find an origin point here without being able to create causation from something else right it's a it's not clemson it's not a land grant institution with sidewalk fans if you are a sidewalk fan in Georgia, I am from Georgia. You cheer for Georgia. Okay? <laughs> so that's problem number one. Not, But it's not insurmountable. It's not like a Kentucky, Western Kentucky situation. It's not. They won a national title. They're right. in a Power Five conference. They've won a
1: national title since Georgia did, yeah.
0: They're sitting in a giant media market. This is why we harp on young, dynamic ADs and coaches who go out and engage people on social media and do unorthodox things. We kiss Tom Herman's ass for a reason, and this is the reason, is that a lot of programs that have become stagnant and need rebranding need dynamic change. And so I don't even know if I'm speaking to so much to the concept of triple option as I am to the concept of Paul Johnson because Atlanta will embrace dynamic change.
1: Yeah, and this is actually, that's a very good point because, um, you, you know, the, look at the list of guys they've hired. Um, like if you go back, let's see here. So starting with, we're going to say, uh, let's see, Pepper Rogers in 1974, he was 43 years old. He had been, he was, he had been um, UCLA head coach, a good, UC, a successful UCLA head coach. That was kind of a relatively ambitious hire. It didn't work out, but it was a relatively ambitious hire. Uh, when it doesn 't work out, they hire Bill Curry, who was thirty eight another pretty ambitious guy who um, you know had one really good year, then was okay and left for Alabama. But at some point in there, it kind of seemed like they decided well let 's go with the old hand who 's not going to leave us because you know Bobby Ross uh, you know god bless Bobby Ross, he won them a national title uh he was 51 when they hired him he had just come from maryland i believe and i don't remember he had a he had a nice run of success in maryland but then he had a kind of a cruddy last year uh it took him a couple years to kind of get any sort of steam going for georgia tech but whatever so he was he was an older hand bill lewis they hired and it was 51 when they hired him in uh 92 george o'leary has been at least 70 years old for going on about four decades now um and was, let's see, 48, I guess, when they hired. No, 40, 49 when they hired him. Matt, uh, Chan Gailey, a lot of NFL experience by that point, was in his uh, upper 40s when they hired him. And, and Paul Johnson, it's another dude who's been like 60 years old for 20 years. So, so, so here's the deal. If they make a change, go dynamic. Right. If you're going to if you're gonna change from Paul Johnson, yeah, you kinda have to go the opposite. You have to go like young, hungry, competitive, whatever and try to, you know, sell yourself as Atlanta's university because otherwise just keep Paul Johnson because also, you're just gonna you, hire yeah, another you, guy who goes seven and five.
0: You're gonna have to eat the curb for probably two years to get off of a triple option.
1: Well, right. So, <laughs> well, I mean you could kinda if you wanna go the Willie Fritz route, he's clearly not you know, 38 years old or anything, but if you want to go that route where it's kind of a transition from option to spread option to whatever you want to call it. Uh, If you're going to do do that, just keep him. If you're going to do that, if if you're going to go, if you want to go Willie Fritz, then just keep Paul Johnson. Well, right. I'm thinking of a 36 year old Willie Fritz. Um. Yeah, Willie's just about as old as Paul Johnson is, I believe. So that's kind yeah. of a different situation. Uh, no, if you want to, if you, 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 you want to bridge the gap by kind of creating a more modern version of of this option that he's created, you can you can try that. And if you if he recruits well enough, maybe there won't be too much pain in the process. But no, I mean clearly. They are they – are, they basically – they haven't made the same hire. Clearly, Paul Johnson had a different offense from the start. But basically, they hired roughly the same guy in Bobby Ross, Bill Lewis, George O'Leary, and Chan Gailey. I just don't um, – but, like, I question the entire parameter of this.
0: Why are you doing yeah. this? This is a city that Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss, uh, Tennessee, half the ACC, they all come in and fight. That means it's really talented. You're not going to win but maybe one out of ten of those battles, at least for a while. But you don't have to run a gimmick. I'll, I'll tell you if you have to run a gimmick, but why not hire Jeff Braum or, or Willie Taggart and start winning some PR battles? Because, for, yeah, for a year or two, if you, especially if you hire Taggart or Braum and you do a bold transition, it's going to suck. It is. But you'll, you'll get there. Taggart did it. Taggart put in power coming off of option at Western Kentucky. So in the meantime, I mean, in Taggart's case, you're going to have an African-American coach and probably the most, you know, uh, I keep going back to dynamic. I mean, it's the city too busy to hate. If Atlanta has more history in the African-American culture than almost any in the United States, short of maybe Detroit or New Orleans. So and maybe more, honestly. Yeah, I think they have the largest population. That might be something you consider, and I don't say that as Taggart being a token coach. I spent a week with the man. He's not a token coach, not even close. He's won won eventually everywhere he's gone, and he would have more resources to start with at Georgia Tech than he would, even though the resources are down, he would have more to start with at Tech than he would at South Florida or Western Kentucky. Or you go hire Jeff Brom. I mean, you want (laughs) something dynamic in Atlanta, give him two years and let him start dropping 56 on Fools. That guy is Petrino with none of the problems. So I I just – I like Paul Johnson. I think I have to go interview him soon. Like, I just don't understand this idea of – everyone at Georgia Tech seems to be looking around right now, asking, like, complaining that they're stuck without realizing that they don't have to be. So I get that there's no money coming in right now, and Johnson's totally right about that. But Clemson – Tommy Bowden didn't build this Clemson machine, okay, Dabo did by recruiting his ass off and making big, bold gestures. They signed Chad Morris to a head coach's contract at BOC. Yeah. And now they've done it again with Venables. I I asked someone recently if Venables would go to K-State. There's a little bit of bad blood there between him and his alma mater. And this person would know. And they said, I don't think so. I think he'd sit at Clemson. Think about that. I was talking about as like a replacement for Snyder. Right. That's insane. Clemson, Clemson didn't just do this overnight, but they also had appealing – enticing uh, things that you as a fan could kind of hang your hat on along the way. I mean, they also got their ass drugged by West Virginia in that bowl, and I remember the entire offseason being, you know, this this cloud. But I just don't get it. I I mean, we're meandering now, but Georgia Tech seems to be self-imprisoned, more so than a lot of Power 5 teams that have problems right now. Fair to say? Yeah, I mean – We didn't talk a stitch about their football team this year, but I don't think that – I mean to go back to Robert's question. I don't think that that's what is concerning Georgia Tech fans is the 2016 incarnation.
1: Yeah, I think um, the only thing I have to say about this year is I'm still very confused as to why their offense isn't good. Because uh, I, I defended, I defended for years the idea that you can just kind of get used to the option and therefore defend it better. Because Georgia Tech consistently had you know top 30 offenses in terms of S and P plus. Uh, Last year, I kind of get it. There was a ton of turnover. Um, I kind of, you know, I was all in on Georgia Tech after what I saw the year before and seeing who they returned, but I think it was, they had a ton of uh, slot back, freshman slot slot backs. Uh, Their offensive line was a mess. Uh, and they struggle, So that makes sense. But this year, I mean, the offensive line might still be a mess, but they're running the ball really well, uh, re- re- reasonably well, again. Uh, and they've had to face a couple of really, really tough defenses. Or a few, actually, no, actually, come to think of it, they faced Boston College, Vanderbilt, Clemson, and Miami. So, of course, they're going to be a little slow on defense or offense, but um, they're really slow. On, uh, they're more slow than they should be on offense. And that's that should be a concern just from a, never mind that hiring, firing, now whatever kind of question uh, for Paul Johnson, the offense has almost always been there, and this is two straight years where it hasn't, and that has to be a concern until proven otherwise, especially they have Justin Thomas, uh, who, who two years ago just pantsed Mississippi State. Um, Ooh, and and now he can't really nasty. throw, even worse than before. He's not throwing the ball very well. Uh, the running game isn't good enough to account for that, and, and so they're struggling.
0: Um, okay. Just so I can, uh, we can get out of this. Um, last thing I want to say, it, it would go against being young and dynamic, but I do think it would create dynamic change. If Auburn fires Gus Malzahn, go to Atlanta. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go to Atlanta. Find a JUCO quarterback for two years. It, it, it'll be a faster transition to that running offense. Go to Atlanta.
1: Do something i am curious though like going back like did they kind of change their general thought process for hiring when they lost a couple of guys or when like Pepper rodgers didn't work out and then bill Curry left like was that was there a kind of a concerted well we can't hire a young guy because he'll leave or was it is it just completely random that they've hired like four basically four old guys in a row I think I
0: doubt you'd be able to draw a consistent through line because of the amount of time but it is interesting now to look at. I don't know if there's if they were in the same circumstance every time or had the same methodology every time. It's probably different people making the hires. Sure, yeah. Was, I mean, but, it had to be different, but um, it does it does speak to the uh, stoicness of, of that program and their and their decision making. Bill, we got football this weekend. Not all of it involves Georgia Tech. We're recording this on Thursday because we had an extra show this week. Um, just going to go ahead and complain right off the top of the bat to start the segment off. I would like to watch Jeff Brom uh and Skip Holt just um burn money on ammunition at the at the firing range tonight, but I can't cuz it's on CBS Sports Network. Instead, I'm going to watch Temple Temple Memphis.
1: Okay. Yeah, I and I mean in fairness, both of these games could be really really interesting within their conference. Um, you know, first of all, Memphis still might be really good. You remember like SP had them like suddenly like 25th before the old Miss game. And they, I thought gave, they still lost by 20, but I thought they gave themselves, they accounted for themselves pretty well um, against Ole Miss. So, I mean, we're all, we're all talking about, I'm, I'm, so I'm really kind of just curious as to, in terms of monitoring Memphis, because we're all talking about the end of the year, uh, you know, Houston having Louisville, uh, what, second to last week before championship week, They have Memphis the week after that um so you want to talk about a scenario where this all falls apart real quickly um in theory there's a scenario where Houston is 10 and 0 loses to Louisville then loses to Memphis and doesn't even make the AAC title game um so I'm really I'm curious about how Memphis might play moving forward and Temple Temple seems to have righted the ship a little bit as well so that's that's kind of good to see in general Matt Rule's a a really good coach and uh, they struggled out of the gates against Army and uh uh Penn State but they've looked good a couple weeks in a row now
0: uh best mornings late in a while and by best I just mean sort of narrative driven not necessarily the football huh. um LSU Florida I, we didn't really talk about I, I went to Baton Rouge and talked to Ed Ogeron you can check it out on spnation.com so I think it's on the front page right now if you listen today uh, we'll probably have to get into that a little later actually I would like to get into it uh, we may get into it next week to see um, how LSU. Just, uh, I'd like to have a larger sample set before we talk about the football side of that. Um, yeah. On what LSU is doing as an offense, but super interested in that game. Sucks that it's at eleven a.m., but actually kind of doesn't because we get to watch it early. Um, well, and, and there's this whole of atmosphere.
1: Kick kickoff times, yeah. Kickoff times on Saturday are a pretty nebulous concept. Uh, with any game in the southeast so east carolina florida lsu florida or east carolina south florida lsu florida etc yeah who the hell knows when these games are going to be played
0: yeah we may have more than one game on sunday i think we already at the time of this recording thursday morning we have i know a crappy game got moved to sunday like it was like fau charlotte or something i think more than one game is going to be on sunday this week so that's kind of cool um if you hate the nfl don't have to watch the nfl yeah, I mean, I actually, I think this is the first time this season I'm going to watch a, a Falcons game live. But anyway, um, Maryland-Penn State, uh, high anxiety, 11 a.m. I'm trying to – I'm working on my branding on this. Auburn-Mississippi State, that'll be, um, again, not good to watch, just narrative-driven. LSU-Florida, Maryland-Penn State, obviously Red River. Um, that's a lot, though, for 11 a.m. And then the secret, and I think, the oh, secret fun-to-watch game is going to be – and it's like, I don't even know what – the freaking—I don't even know what channel this is on. Southern Miss has been like secret super fun to watch on offense, even though their game against Rice last week wasn't even on television. Uh, they're at UTSA, so that will be fun.
1: Um, yeah, and and uh, among all of those, maybe the most maybe the most interesting game to me, just in terms of wanting to see them play Notre Dame to NC State. Our boys, our boys, the Wolf Pack. Um, playing really really well and and they really should be 4 and 0 they were unlucky to lose to East Carolina uh, really good team and and now we get to see them with this weird opportunity where you know we talk about their hard schedule a lot uh, but Notre Dame's not very good, at least not on defense, and no, and NC State is very good on offense. So this could be, you know, what was the last what was last week's final score? Like Notre Dame Syracuse, like fifty to thirty three or something like that. Yep. Um, this this could be a track meet as well, and uh, NC State has a very NC State has an opportunity to beat Notre Dame, uh, and that should be a pretty big deal in and of itself for that program. As we learned last week, they deal they struggle with expectations. Well, this is a pretty good chance to to. Claim a pretty uh, a, a pretty marquee win, even if Notre Dame's not that great. Is this
0: narrative Saturday? Because I'm looking now in the afternoon slot, and believe it or not, the first thing that jumps to my mind is Colorado at USC and the potential for another major job to be open on Sunday morning. Um, of all the games, that's what jumped out at me. I don't. I mean, Indiana, Ohio State will be fun for maybe a quarter and a half. Um, yeah. Uh, BYU in Michigan State is secret garbage. Maybe not so secret anymore. Um, I can't watch Houston at Navy, which I don't think will be a problem, but it sucks again. I hate you, CBS Sports Network, and I hope the PR people know this. Like, I, I mean, I'm going to dog your ass for the rest of the year for the fact that I'm trying to pay you money to watch your product. Um, <laughs> anyway... Uh, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, that will be a good game. It just doesn't have the sizzle on it that it probably should, so that's our fault. And then obviously the heavyweight is t- uh, Tennessee at Texas A&M. I have very little feel for this in terms of yeah. the football part.
1: Yeah, I um, I had to write, I wrote about that game this morning. Uh, if I remember, I'll put the preview in the SB Nation post here too. But, um, yeah, it's weird parallels in that game. Both teams lay the ball on the ground a lot like they've done it 25 times in it combined in five games which is a kind of crazy for an otherwise good team. Tennessee of course has fumbled 15 freaking times and recovered almost every single one of them. Uh that that looked like it was actually going to backfire on against them against Georgia and then they go ahead in the fourth quarter by recovering a fumble in the damn end zone, but um both teams are very good on uh, both offenses are very, very good on standard downs despite themselves. a and wants to pass. It uh, doesn't pass all that well, but runs well. Tennessee wants to run, can't run, but passes well. Um, so there's this kind of a weird dynamic where they're both kind of changing their offensive styles here mid season based on what they're actually good at instead of what they thought they were going to be good at or wanted to be good at. And, uh, meanwhile, the defenses aren't very good on standard downs, but they'll, they'll kill you on passing downs. So kind of a tightrope walk here. Whoever's able to kind of stay in that second and five, third and two situation better. Um, if they're also, if turnovers luck is also kind of shining on them, then one of these teams, either one could win by like 30 points. But um, there's a lot of volatility in, these, in, in, in this game, I think, just because of the fumbles and because of the change in offense.
0: Stands out at me as like two rosters who are highly athletic and well-recruited that had underperformed up until recently. So it makes me think that you're going to see some sort of like showcase game for individual athleticism in particular spots, passing game, running game, something, I don't know, something in the secondary. It feels ambiguous, but it's just like kind of the vibe I get when you look at these two rosters that are really talented. Um, ooh, just gonna skip right past Vandy in Kentucky there. Um, yeah, I, it just I was looking for a joke to come off of very talented, and it was just sitting right there. Um, Bam, Arkansas. Ty Hildenbrand, yeah. uh, slow cooker game. My God, um, I just. We want to believe right now because we want to – if you're not an Alabama fan, you want the, the division race to reopen. You want the playoff picture to change up a little bit. I just don't believe right now. I want to believe, yeah. but I don't.
1: Well, I mean, and this has kind of a, been – a the last couple of games, this has been kind of a checkpoint game for Arkansas. And that this is about the time of the year where they start to turn things around. Um, it's been a weird five games for Arkansas because it looked like they were actually – Starting hot, and then you know they beat TCU, but then they just collapse down the stretch against A and M. There, I think they're ranking in my rankings. My ratings are in the thirties, and therefore they're not favored to have much of a chance against Bama. But they used to play Bama pretty well. Um, So, and and Alabama still, I still don't completely trust their offense. So this is this is kind of a status check kind of game. Like obviously Alabama now after this, they get Tennessee and A and M, and that'll tell us a lot too. They're better than both of those teams too, but they'll still. This is a, a, an interesting stretch for Alabama, and I and I mean I I put out pr- uh, playoff projections yesterday, or at least just the projections of all the teams that are still kind of in the race. Um, I, I expect Alabama to lose one of these games, and I enjoy that number one because it does kind of offer some sen- sense of like uh, you know democracy, but uh, it also. I, I love the, the script after Alabama losses when everybody declares the dynasty over and then uh, they don't lose again for a year. Right. Uh, that, always kind of, that, that always kind of entertains me a little bit. And uh, here's, here's a transition for you. Speaking of uh, awkward, strange kind of entertainment, Michigan records. Ooh. Yeah, that's yeah, awkward that's really, and strange.
0: I mean, that's like, that's that's like a Ripley's kind of freak show vibe.
1: I was actually, I, I was actually st- thrown by the fact that the spread is only 28.5 points.
0: How did that get pushed to six o'clock on ESPN two? That feels like a Big Ten network game all day. Yeah, it that also feels like a formality you want to get out of the way before three o'clock. But whatever. It's because Michigan's going into that New York television market. Kill me. <laughs> um, Florida State, Miami, Washington, Oregon. Fun. Uh, yeah. Fun. That'll occupy your drinking. Um, and then when you're drunk, uh, when you're drunk, we've got Washington State, Stanford, um, and then. There's always these, like – it always involves – so UCLA is at Arizona State. I feel like UCLA and Arizona State each play games that are always quality viewing experiences that no one talks about before and no one talks about after. They're just the chattel, chaff, mid-part of the the Pac-12 after-dark experience. So that game will be on, and you can watch it. Uh, Georgia State – Georgia and South Carolina are going to play, and if that's in a hurricane bill – and Eason can't pass, that may be the most unwatchable SEC game of the year. Yeah, because,
1: yeah, we know South Carolina can't. Um, yeah, let's not talk about that one. The two games I'm interested in talking about, Florida State, Miami, whenever or wherever it's played. Like, Miami hasn't had this good a chance to beat Florida State in a very, very long time. Um you know the spread of Miami minus three is total respect to Florida State because they have not at this stage where the, where the two teams are at this exact moment that should be higher towards Miami but nobody that doesn't feel right. Uh, Miami still has to kind of prove that it's actually worthy of a higher spread I think and so that's that's a really really interesting game and then, I mean Washington Oregon, you know uh, a. This is a game that Washington hasn't won in almost 15 years, and after you know, there's there's massive hangover potential, especially if Oregon is pissed off and um, you know comes out of the gate firing. That could be really interesting from that perspective. Oregon could wreck every single Pac-12 narrative, drag the whole Pac-12 down uh, without a playoff contender. Yeah, Um, oh, if Oregon wins this game, they it's wiped out. It's done. Yeah. Or, on the flip side, Washington could absolutely drub Oregon like they drub Stanford, uh, and the freakout in Eugene could be very, very impressive.
0: And that, uh, again, it is, this is Narrative Saturday because it's not I know. So much I a, hate
1: that we're talking about it. I know it's on the table, though.
0: It's not so much a football thing with this game because I do. My, look, I expect Washington to beat anybody's ass after last Friday. I, I mean, I'm fine. I know it was a single game, terrible sample size, and, and I understand. I'm trained by you to not fall into this trap, and I'm jumping in willingly, okay? Uh, but we have no concept of what Oregon does in this situation from an administrative standpoint. Are they going to fire hell mid year?
1: Yeah, and I—I I mean, look—if they—if they get blown out by Washington on Saturday, and they're two and four, that's—that's that's bad. This isn't last year. I thought it was—you know—I felt actually that Mark Helfridge kind of faced a really unfair standard from the start. So maybe that's why I'm still defending him now, even though two and four with a blowout loss could be really bad. Um, I thought, you know, because Chip Kelly had this force of personality. We we discounted first of all we discounted the really negative moments Chip Kelly's teams had in losing to Stanford or losing to you know (laughs) losing to and punching Boise State at the very beginning of his career like people doubted Chip Kelly for a long period of his career and it took till you know you know it it took until they kind of made a sustained run actually I I was going to say sustained run. That was, they made the national title game in his second year, but they were still figuring out ways to kind of, to, to question him after that. But as soon as he leaves, he was this untouchable level of great coaching greatness. Uh, And and Mark Helfrich turned around and went 24 and four. The first two years he was in charge with uh, another national title game appearance. Like I I thought that was awesome. And they lose Marcus Mariota and still have a top 10 defense or top 10 offense the next year with Vernon Adams getting hurt. Um, That was solid the clearly clearly the defensive side of the ball has has fallen and that actually started with with nick alioti uh retiring uh which might have i don't remember if he was the, the exactly when that fell in line but i mean i think clearly they've got some issues there i think the defense is slightly better than it was last year and it's going to continue to drag them down and meanwhile they're freaking out and thinking about starting a freshman on a quarterback which you know fine, the offense could certainly be better, but it's not the issue right now. Um... Plenty of reasons to question Helfrich. I just, you know, a year and a half at, removed from the national title game when you haven't even had a bad – this isn't even like Auburn where they went 2-10 and 10, uh, the second year after the national championship uh, with Chiswick. Like, they, we, we don't know how this story's going to play out, and we're already talking about firing and Helfrich, and it just, the, it just drives me crazy how quickly this comes into the conversation now. Anyway, I've, 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 I've officially made that rant for about the 38th time in, in PAP and history. Well, it
0: may not. It may not. We don't know like they may we don't know what we don't know if Oregon is a firing culture because they haven't fired anybody in 30 years so who knows that's
1: true 40 40 yeah yeah
0: i mean this is this is really interesting to watch and i i mean helfrich is a great guy a nice guy like but i don't mean i don't mean it in a rubber the the highway accident way it's just we really don't know but i mean there's a strong chance bill that they're going to get waxed like at like a 28 plus loss so I, seems like at other
1: programs that that might be it right i mean it's nine and four last year that was their terrible year where people were really questioning him they went nine and four uh, i just i'm not there maybe i'll get there again they could think, be two bill, and four I'm with the and loss i i could get there but i'm I, not there I think, I, no
0: no no I, hey bill i'm not there i i totally agree <laughs> and i think i, I mean I, I really just think helfridge has had a series of bad dcs and some and some some bad stuff also I do think that the quality of the conference is quietly increasing. Yeah. To the point where it's affecting. Look, it's affecting USC as much as it's affecting Oregon.
1: Yeah. Yeah i I think my my biggest complainer is yeah you're right we don't even know what what Oregon is capable of or thinking or whatever but um yeah we we just used to be able to get to at least November before talking about nothing but coaching changes and it's kind of starting to it's, it's it actually is distracting from the actual games we wait nine months to have actual games to talk about and a month in we're talking about Texas firing their coach and LSU firing their coach and USC firing their coach and Oregon firing their coach and Notre Dame Notre Dame may be firing their coach that that's another one that's I can't imagine that actually happened but that's that's a subject of conversation this week and I just games we actually have games to react to and I'd rather do that not this week we just I mean honestly we
0: have Tennessee A&M as a, as a megawatt headliner and everything else. It's narrative Saturday, buddy. Florida State-Miami, I mean, I certainly don't feel like there's any situation where a coach is affected by that, so there's one. Okay. Uh, in terms of, I'm talking about top-tier stuff. Right, but, right. But on the whole right now, there are a lot of programs where the, who are in games this weekend, and most people just want to talk about what are we going to do about the coach. And yeah. a lot of it's in the SEC, and a
1: lot of it, well, I mean, some of it's in the Big Ten, too. So yeah, it's just... Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12. It's everywhere now. Except the yeah. ACC. The ACC has done nothing but hire good
0: coaches. Surging. Like the surging Atlantic Coast Conference. Ain't even basketball season yet. Um, <laughs> all right, Bill. It's going to be another great weekend because it's always a great weekend.
1: It's college football. And we'll talk about firing on so – actually, no, I, this is another reason to like our Sunday format because we, there's no time for talking about
0: firing anymore. Also, we usually, oh, rec- we usually record right as
1: someone's getting fired. Yeah, that's um, – I was going to say, by the way, we are going to skip – because of internet connectivity issues, we are going to skip box score bingo. Um, but everybody go look at the Georgia Tech-Miami box score just for fun because that's what I was going to do. Damn. Blame my Comcast. Which right. is a company that's vested hundreds
0: of millions of dollars into our employer. So, but blame them anyway. Um, that's
1: proof that we're not we're not sellouts. That's right. Hell
0: no. I'm about to I'm about to work the service technician when he gets here. I'm pissed off. Um, so, real fast, as always, you can uh, thank you for listening. Please go rate us on iTunes and all that jazz and SoundCloud and stuff. You can follow Bill Connolly on Twitter at SBN underscore Bill C. Myself on Twitter at Thirty Eight Godfrey. Also the Instagrams and what such. Um, subscribe, rate, we love you, and we'll see you Sunday. You want to do this again on Sunday, Bill?
1: Uh, I do. Hopefully with better internet.
0: Amen.